6, 7, 8! Ah, yeah, an oldie but a goodie. We haven't heard that one in a while. <laughs> that is uh, Drupal Way by some of uh, the graduates of the Drupal Easy Drupal Career Starter Program. Um, but that's uh, for another time. So welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 165. My name is Mike Anello. And joining me today, back from the dead, seemingly, Andrew Riley. Hello, why do I want to eat brains all of a sudden? It, you've, it's been months and months since we've uh, heard from you. It has. It's a, it was an amazing uh, thing of you know changing jobs and then a bunch of scheduling things. Like Every time a podcast came up, I'd be like, oh, I'll be in the air for four hours. So, yeah. Can we talk about your new job yet, or should we wait on We can. Still? No, it's safe. All right, so what are you doing now? I am now, well, technically a software application engineer at Red Hat, but what that really means is I work on redhat.com. Uh, people may not know it, but they actually use a lot of Drupal. Is redhat.com uh, all Drupal? Yes, it is. All right, fantastic. And that doesn't mean that you're living up uh, in what uh, in Virginia, right? You're, you're still living in Florida. You're just a, a telecommuter. I'm in Florida, and they're in Raleigh. Well, they're worldwide, but the headquarters is in Raleigh, North Carolina. So a lot of traveling up there? A uh, fair amount, yeah. Oh. oh, I said Virginia. Yeah, you're right. North Carolina. That makes more sense. All right. Well, welcome back, friend. It's been a while. Thank you. We missed you at the uh, Drupal 8 uh, release party last week. Yeah. I wish I was there, but I heard there were some good stories. It was, uh, it was very fun, and it was insanely hard trivia. <laughs> like excellent trivia. yeah so anyway um also joining us today in her new official capacity as one of the drupal easy podcast co-host is anna colada hey anna how are you hey i'm good thanks for asking me to join the team i'm excited so there you go you were uh, you had a tryout that you didn't know about so that was fun <laughs> for everybody <laughs> and you obviously passed with flying colors. So uh, thanks for joining the team and, you know, look forward to uh, hearing your voice with us a lot more often. Yep. Glad to be here. Did you attend a uh, Drupal 8 uh, party, release party? We did. Uh, the Chicago community had a pretty good turnout for their party. Um, and we celebrated by having pie uh, to uh, recognize the proudly invented elsewhere nature of Drupal 8 uh, bringing in uh, aspects from the larger PHP community, like Twig and Symphony. Um, yeah, so we had pie. Was it blueberry pie? Um, or all kinds of pie? Oh, it was all kinds of pie. We had like 12 pies. I love pie. That's the so, best kind of pie, all kinds of pie. Yeah, all different <laughs> kinds. Lemon meringue and uh, pumpkin cheesecake and apple and banana cream. and There is something for everybody. I'm a blueberry guy. I like blueberry pie. Yeah, I don't think we had any berry pies. Oh, really? That's a it was, you would be surprised how hard it is to get pie the week before Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. That makes a lot of sense. Like, we were kind of, like, stuck with whatever we could get. So, no blueberry. I guess blueberry's popular. So, was there, did Ch Chicago, all of Chicago have just one party? It wasn't broken up? Um, yeah, no, as far as I know. Oh, great. Um, yeah, we're kind of... Um, 
some the people North I know are kind of working there, to reboot. There's, there's the downtown area, but then there's also the, what's it, Forest Park? What's the area? There's Oak Park Oak. is is Kathy's area. Yes. Uh, there's Fox Valley. That they Fox had a couple Valley. Camps. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, the main Fox Valley guys have either moved to Chicago or came came into the party. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Carell, Larry Garfield, and Kathy Thays were at PHP World, so they were celebrating in D.C. with the <laughs> PHP World group. Um, oh. The DA helped them put on a, a party out there, which I thought was kind of fun. Oh, excellent, excellent. And our guest today, who, unbelievably, we have not had Donna Benjamin on the podcast yet. Donna, how are you? I am great, and it's awesome to be here, Mike. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We've uh, we've mentioned you on the podcast. I actually did a search, and we've mentioned you, you know, more than a few times. Oh dear. <laughs> yes, um, you'll have to go back and listen to 164 episodes to figure out exactly what we said. So, good luck with that. Thank you. Um, for those of you who don't know Donna by her actual name, her Drupal.org username is Katy Crab. Um, well said. Thank you very much. And where does that name come from? We were just talking about it a second ago, but go ahead and... Uh... Katakrab is Dutch for Cat Scratch. And Cat Scratch was the uh, the online nick or handle that I was using sometime last century um, whenever I logged into a new service. And one day it stopped being available. So I simply translated it into Dutch, which is um, the language that Pete speaks. Pete's my husband. And um, I was learning Dutch at the time, and it's quite unique. So uh, there are really two instances of Katakrab um, when you search for it. It's me or Katakrab Ziekte, which is um, a disease called cat scratch fever. So there you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. That's a very positive <laughs> note that story ended on. <laughs> yep. you were also, your username was also a uh, trivia question at uh, DrupalCon in Barcelona. Yes, it was. And actually, that's the second time that I have appeared as a, as a question in trivia. And I feel like, you know, once that happens, that's, that's the moment you've made it in the Drupal community. When, when you end up being a question in Drupal trivia, you know, it's, it's, it's like a highlight. <laughs> and I'll say it because I know Anna won't. Anna knows that because she was on the winning team. Oh, very good, Anna. <laughs> Congratulations. Night. We came second. So I'm, I, we've got some trivia, you know, serious trivia cred here today. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Fantastic. So you are, so um, you said uh, Pete, your husband is Dutch. You are actually Australian, correct? I, I am actually Australian, yes. And you, okay. I was, I, I don't want to say like New Zealand or I know sometimes there's a rivalry there. Um, you yeah, guys actually, live in, in Australia? In Melbourne, Australia, and right. Uh, right down south, and it's uh, it's just we're just heading into summer now, so it's the tail end of spring, and there's lots of dust and pollen in the air. So forgive my slightly blocked up nose; it's not uh, not doing anything, not doing wonders <laughs> for my voice today. No worries. So let me. I wrote down a few things um, that I was able to dig up about you, and maybe you can just talk about each one real quick. Uh, you're the executive director of a company called Creative Contingencies. Yes. Is that your company or what's what's your role there? Yes, it's my company. Um, I, I founded Creative Contingencies uh, last century. It started out really as a business support service, um, small business, and we did a lot of document production. And increasingly that became web documents that became online um, and conference 
supporting conferences and then the associated registration and stuff around that. So um, we started out sort of being a what-do-you-need, plan B type organisation and, and grew into a web organisation. All right. And uh, what, you're on the Watchdog team for Tag 1? So you work yeah. uh, on the magazine? Yeah, yeah, and that's um that's something I um I started doing this year, which is great fun. The Drupal Watchdog um magazine or, or technical journal, as we like to call it, uh-huh. um is a really fantastic um publication, and I sort of see it as a kind of real part of the you know the Drupal media landscape, I guess. As you know, Drupal Easy Podcast is 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 an example of that too. We have this kind of ecosystem of um. Of publications in various forms, and and Watchdog is is fun, and and it's kind of, it's strange in some ways. It's a bit of an anachronism, I guess, in 2015 to have a print journal for a web content management system. I mean, it, it's yeah, really a little bit crazy. There's something, there's something really nice about like when you go to DrupalCon and you get it in your bag, and and I always save it for the airplane ride home. It's it's nice to have that physical, tactile Drupal thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's actually, a, a, you know, you're, you're, you're singing the refrain that I hear over and over again. And that is that people do really value and appreciate that, you know, holding something in their hands. And, and I think it's something hilarious. If you, if you have a very rare copy of the first edition with Dries's face on it, you know, our, our cover boy, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there is definitely something, something about it. And I think, the other thing about it is there's a longevity to the articles because you sort of say, well, how does this compare? You know, there's lots of blogs out there covering Drupal, but um, if you look back over the kinds of articles that you see, you, you see in Drupal Watchdog, um, is there's a real kind of sense of um, uh, documenting our, you know, our big picture, I guess, if you like. Right. Exactly. One of the the biggest things about that magazine, and it may not be for everyone. But I can actually hand it to, excuse me, journal. I can hand that to my parents and say, this is what I do. They still don't completely get it, but it gives a concrete example of something real for them rather than they think I'm in the 1990s movie Hackers. <laughs> there is yeah, nothing that- wrong with Hackers. <laughs> no, hackers is awesome, but I think that you know that's that's a good point too. Is that it? It does make something that we do, which is very intangible, tangible for 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 some folk. And the other element, I guess, is you know it's something that you can have on the coffee table, you know, in your in your reception area as a you know Drupal business that sort of also gives credibility, um, you know, to to what we do. That it, it somehow makes it real. It's something beyond the content, beyond the the physicality printed thing that it just sort of has a certain magic about it. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I, I joined the team and I've, I've, I've really enjoyed um, getting to understand more about how it all works. It's, 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 a great, um, it's a great team. All right. So next up on the list of things that Donna Benjamin does that are Drupal related, <laughs> you are a Drupal Association board member. That's so, right. Yeah. Yes. I, um, so that was two years ago? One year? When, when, when did you get elected? Four, nearly four years ago. So four years. I, yeah, okay. it's crazy. I was I was elected um, early in 2012 as one of the first community um, community elected board members, along with Steve Perkins, and um, we were the first kind of cohort, I guess, of elected members in the in the rebooted Drupal Association. Um, at the end of my term. Um, I, I indicated that I'd be willing to continue if they wanted, 
you know, if, if I was useful and if they wanted to have me. And so I was then appointed to one of the class director positions. So they're three-year terms and that term just finished and I've, um, at the last board meeting, I was um, re well, reappointed for another three years. So you're stuck with me, guys, folks. So wait, I'm, uh, I'm going to be there for, an, for another little bit, another little so, while. So explain that because I, I think you lost me somewhere in the middle there. So you were elected to as a community board member yeah. four years ago, as a, and that was a two-year position? That was a one-year position a one-year at position. the time. Um, we've changed it so that the community positions are now two-year terms. So let me, let me rewind a little bit. So the Drupal Association itself had a big kind of administrivial reboot um, at the end of 2011 um, where it, it shifted from being the um, Belgian-based VZW, you know, basically a Belgian non-profit, and we shifted into the, um, the US 40501. I can't even remember now what the number is. C3, 501C3. 501c3, thank you very much, Mike. So when we, we shifted to become um, a US-based um, non-profit um, and the board was um, sort of re, um, re-jigged and there were 10 um, class directors and they started in a rotation of, you know, some people were appointed for three years, some for two years and some for one year so that we would have um, – uh, you know, a good rotation happening regularly rather than everyone being up for renewal all the time. And then there were two community elected um, members. So the class directors were appointed by a nominating board, many of whom, the members of whom were part of the old VCW. Um, and there was a lot of thinking about, you know, what, what do we need um, on the board of the Drupal Association? What kind of experience? What kind of, um, you know, representation? There were a whole lot of different factors and also kinds of skills um, that the those people would bring to their positions as directors that um, we also wanted to make sure there was representation from outside the community. So, for instance, um, Denise Cooper, who is a sort of open source royalty in many ways, um, was, was invited to join the board and she's certainly been a very welcome voice of reason with experience from many other open source communities in her time um, and experience in, in various organisations from, you know, um, from Wikimedia to her time at Sun to, you know, all the sorts of things that she's involved in. Um, and uh, someone who came on uh, after I did Samir, he's actually a professor at um, I think San Francisco University. I might be getting that wrong, and who, who also who uses Drupal um, from a different perspective as a as an academic and as an educator. Um, but he's also got experience with, for instance, the um, the One Laptop Per Child project and Ubuntu, and so bring some very different perspectives, which is really welcome, I think, in an organisation like the Drupal Association. Sorry, right. I went off on a massive tangent there, Mike. No, Hopefully. no, there's a lot of background <laughs> information there. <laughs> All right, so finally, um, you're also the chair of the Drupal Community Working Group. Yeah, and uh, this is, I guess, my my direct contribution to Drupal itself. Um, a few years back now, Dries, um really dug into the governance of the project itself, um, drawing on, I think, some really great foundational work and thinking 
done by Randy Fay, where he sort of looked at, you know, how we'd, we'd grown as a project. Um, we were a global community. We had all sorts of stuff going on, but we didn't have any formal, formal governance structures. And so, um, Dries took some of that thinking and, and formed a series of working groups, um, formalized ones that already existed. We already had, for instance, the security team, um, and they kind of became one of the, one of these working groups. The community working group was one of the first that was chartered, and it was, um, ostensibly our main job is to uphold um, the code of conduct. So the community, you know, agreed on a code of conduct many, many years ago. Um, but we're sort of custodians of it, I guess, at the, at the community working group. And we also looked to one of the first things that we did was look to some unfinished business, which was develop, to develop a, um, conflict resolution process so that, you know, conflict is inevitable. It's natural. It's actually welcome because it's a good way to, to see what's wrong and, and, and create change to, to fix things. It's kind of the ultimate bug report conflict. Um, but we didn't really have a, a good way of, of dealing with it, of acknowledging it and of working through it. So developing a conflict resolution um, process was, was one of the things that the community working group did. We also, um, you know, we're also point people for, for issues that um, get get raised we try and encourage people to you know be proactive about dealing with conflict be open about it and work it through themselves wherever possible so we try and say step one is have you actually tried to work this out you know between you perhaps shift the mode of communication you're using if you're stuck in an issue queue maybe you could get into IRC you know if you're flaming each other out on IRC maybe you could you know switch into a a hangout or a Skype chat and just try and get on the same page about what it is you're actually in conflict about. Maybe you, maybe you could find some common ground if you just tried to, to communicate in a different way. And surprisingly, you know, that actually can work quite well a lot of the time. Sometimes people can't, you know, work it out between them, themselves. And what they, we encourage people to do in that case is to find a third party, someone who, Perhaps you both respect someone who perhaps understands the issue from a different perspective um, and is able to perhaps help you mediate through and find that consensus or common ground or, you know, in the perhaps less um, positive outcome is, you know, agree to disagree and perhaps move on and, and, and focus on some different things. But we're very much about trying to find a way for people to use that conflict in a constructive way. Yeah, I think the last thing you'd want to do is have to be involved as like the arbitrator there. Right. And, and we're, you know, we're a team of volunteers, just like most of us in one way or another in, mm. in Drupal. And, you know, we, we do step in. We do get asked if, like, if it gets past that, that second, um, level and it, it needs to escalate further, then it does come to us and we will try and, um, try and mediate. But we actually don't try to arbitrate. We're not judges. We're not police. Um, we're not, you know, making edicts. On You're the just whole. trying to help shepherd people through a, a, a process that can result in a, in a, in a yeah, reasonable resolution. Yeah, that's right. And, and, um, and I very much take the view that when people are upset, um, angry, frustrated, that they're going to act out and they're going to cause, you know, ripples. But, you know, it, it it's good for all of us to just, you know, pay attention and see if, you know, perhaps where there's smoke, there's fire and there's something that we'd all be better off if we addressed. Right. 
So speaking of pay attention, let's pay attention to the topic that we actually you know want to get to here. <laughs> you know, kind of having you on to talk about this, is just, it was kind of an excuse to get you on because we, we knew that we hadn't had you on. And it was a topic that it's been kind of at the front of my mind, especially with Drupal 8 coming out. And there's been a little bit of controversy about it. So we, we wanted someone who had a, a good background. Um, and the topic is uh, funding. You know, FOSS, or free and open source software funding, or uh, Drupal, or, or funding core developers, or funding projects within the Drupal community, um, and it kind of stemmed from the D8 Accelerate program, right. which, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with it, there was a quarter of a million dollars raised um, through donors, both corporate and individual donors, um, raised by the Drupal Association. And then provided to uh, developers specifically to solve um, critical issues for Drupal 8. There was a, a D8 Accelerate uh, committee. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but committee of people who uh, looked at applications for people who wanted to, you know, help solve critical issues. And they were the ones who decided on, yes, this person um, should get X number of dollars to help solve this issue. Did I, is that a good summary? Yeah, I think that's an excellent summary, Mike. Okay, I and, miss it. and I think the, you know, the, the controversy around it is, is quite interesting. And, you know, in the lead up to, to me coming on, on the podcast, you know, you and I had that chat mm-hmm. and raised up, uh, are quite a few um, articles that have been floating around that kind of touch on aspects of this. So I think it's a really good kind of topic to get get your teeth into. And I think that um, it's also a good one, given we were just speaking about conflict resolution, <laughs> to sort of say, well, well, you know, what what is at the heart of this? Why is this controversial? Why is this ruffling feathers? What is there here that we need to pay attention to? And See, I, one of no, no, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, please. No, so, you know, one of the things that I, I think is really interesting is this, it, it really, it, it's quite a, it's dangerous in some ways because it's political and economic. And mostly in the Drupal world, we're talking about technology and communication. And I don't know that we we generally pay much attention to the politics and the economics of what we do. And free software is a really interesting um um, phenomenon in, in, in that context because it is a political movement as much as it is a development, uh, you know, a software development movement. And it does raise a lot of questions. One of the ones that I often find myself playing with, you know, in my head <laughs> is, um, that it raises ideas of politics in terms of the a left right continuum. And I sometimes feel that that's just not relevant. There is, um, it is definitely politics, but I think the old school party politics is less um, uh, is less interesting as a way of analysing what's going on here than um, than some people might want us to believe. So I say, put your political thinking caps on, but don't necessarily use the same old methods of thinking about it that you might want to fall into. Well, it was really interesting because I came into all of this, um, but you know about a month ago or so when when we were talking about getting you on and scheduling you and everything, of the opinion that I, it, this program really worried me. It <laughs> worried me that it was going to negatively affect uh, volunteerism, you know, the, yep. the, 
you know, people who want to volunteer and, and contribute code and, you know, work in issue queues and, and do other things that they might stop, you know, it might be seven o'clock at night and they're going to, they're thinking about sitting down and, and, and working on issue and think to themselves, eh, maybe not tonight. I'm sure they'll just pay someone to do it some other time. So why should I spend my evening in front of my computer when someone's probably going to get paid to do this? That was kind of my, and, you know, I guess to a lesser, it's a much lesser extent where that's a worry now for me. So what changed for you? Because, our, you know, when we, we did what changed All the homework you assigned me. That's what changed <laughs> for me. Homework, I'm hanging up now. <laughs> Excellent. My work here is done. <laughs> well, look, I mean, I think that's really interesting. And it was certainly, I mean, I, you know, I, I voiced that exact concern that, you know, what are we doing to our spirit of volunteerism when we start paying people? And it is um, a shift that we are, is not unique to us. We are not the first community to tackle this challenge. Um, people have have kind of um, grappled with, you know, I'm using air quotes here, professionalising what they do um, for a long time. And we, we also have to look at the, the whole, um, the whole kind of, I guess, ecosystem of unpaid labour and how that impacts on what we do and, and our expectations of free software. So, you know, there comes a point where, you know, I think Dries actually talked a little bit about this in, in one of his keynotes last year of, you know, the, the tragedy of the commons kind of stuff and how you you see um, progress from people just rolling up their sleeves and getting stuff done as a community because it needs to be done and therefore it's done by volunteers. Then there comes a point in time where it's commercialised and people start doing it, you know, and, and are being paid by people who don't have time to do it. And then you get to a point where it becomes such a necessary resource that you have sort of governments do it. So that's another way of thinking about some of these these challenges. Um, but in terms of the, the sort of the spirit of volunteerism, um, we have to be really careful, I think, about what we say about volunteerism. Not everyone has time to volunteer. And in, um, in the software world, uh, making your code available or showing that you're involved in free and open source software projects has become, um, you know, a kind of apprenticeship. Um, so the, it, it also taps into a whole ecosystem of the, the diversity challenge that we also, you know, keep talking about that, you know, we, we seem to lack diversity in our community. And, you know, if you go back and look at it, well, if the only way to be, to get anywhere as a software developer is to show that you've got, you've done your time in an open source project, but you were too busy, you know, earning a crust and caring for, you know, young'uns or old'uns um, and didn't have time to, you know, do that volunteer work, then um, what does that say? So that's why I think there's a lot more, you know, sticky, messy, grey area in this than the kind of black and white of like, well, if we start paying people to do it, no one's going to want to do it for free. It's like, well, maybe if we start paying people to do it, we'll actually be, you know, have access to a wider pool of talent and, and different thinking than if we continue to rely on the people who happen to have time to do it. Yeah, what what you just said a second ago about uh, the diversity issue when it comes to this it was I I didn't even think about that until I read one of my homework assignments, um, 
a really interesting blog post from Ash Dryden, um, who is part of our community, um, titled, let's see, The Ethics of Unpaid Labor and the OSS Community. And yeah. she had some amazing statistics. And yes, that's a really good that's a really good article and anyone who's been kind of grappling with this I would strongly recommend have a look at you know look that up it's it's really it's an, thought-provoking. It's an eye opener is what it was for me. Um I pulled out one quote that, that from it. She said we know f- from research that approximately 1.5% of floss contributors are female as compared to 28% in proprietary software. Which blew me away and I I couldn't like rectify that. In, in my head after first reading it, but then the blog post continues and, and um, talks about how, in general, white guys have more free time than right. you know than than let's just say non-white guys. Yep. Um, you know, women tend to spend more of their time as caregivers, um, the you know taking care of the home. Um, there, there are several different examples. I can't pull any of them out of my, yeah. out of my brain at the moment. So there's one one thing I do want to kind of um, wave a flag, a sort of caveat around the 1.5% figure. That came okay. from a study which is known as the Floss Poll Study, and I think it was from the mid-2000s. Um, okay. There was some um, – there's some concern around the methodology of that study in that it doesn't – it only counted pure code contribution. And in which, the open yeah, source, which we know is just bogus. <laughs> right, which we know is bogus. And right. whereas the proprietary software figure was using um, was using a, a broader definition of people involved in the development of technology. So rather than just pure code commits. So it's not necessarily a like for like. And I, back from those days, I always felt like, well, you know, I'm involved in open source software. I'm not contributing code, but I'm, you know, I think I'm contributing. I've definitely got over that long ago. I think what I do um, is part of, you know, what we all do and and the contribution we all make to our project. So it, it, it's one to be careful of. But that said, there's still obviously, you know, not parity when it comes to um, to women, to people of colour. Um, you know, I think age also is a factor in terms of our, you know, of our diversity that, you know, we don't necessarily have a, a good mix of, of older and um, of older people, um, I know that there's a problem in um, you know in the labour force that you know a lot of old developers um, find it very hard to get get work in, in their later years, and, and so there's you know there's some really interesting um, aspects to that. This um, topic is is filled with rabbit holes. So <laughs> it me, is, it is. So back to funding, huh? Back to funding. Yeah. Well, let me pull us out of this rabbit hole. I'm sure we're going to fall into another one in a second. Um, but one of the thing, another one of the things that I learned um, through my homework was that even if you know, even if the Drupal community is moving in the direction of most core contributors are paid, which, um, according to Holly Ross, who's the executive director of the DA, she believes that the data will bear this out, that the majority of, of core development work is done. And paid by organizations, um, and that was actually. Not, here comes a wrap. I'm not hole. sure it's true. Um, well, I don't know that the, the data the data says it yet, and and I also think right. there's still some questions as to. Um, we know that 
developers are being paid to work on Drupal projects, but mm-hmm. is their actual core development time being paid by those companies? Well, yeah, that was it. Wasn't a fact. This was definitely it was definitely her feeling that that's what the data would eventually show. And um, the great thing is, we will be in position, you know, to actually look at that data. You know, when we upgraded Drupal.org to get um, commit credits uh, assigned to people and their organization, one of the things that will enable is we'll be able to look at commits and say, okay, well, we know that. X percent of commits to Drupal core were sponsored by a, an organization. Yeah. So we're moving in that direction where we're going to have hard data, um, which is, is is kind of interesting. But beside all that, so out of that rabbit hole into another one, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> the fact that even if we are moving that direction, it it may not necessarily be a bad thing because if you think about it, there's a whole continuum of open source projects where some of them are on one extreme where very little of the work is done um, by or paid for by organizations. It's almost 100% you know, pure volunteer, free people working in their free time work. Yep. And then on, on the other extreme, um, something like you know, WordPress comes to mind, uh, maybe Puppet comes to mind as well, where the vast majority of the work on the project is done and paid for by organizations. And yep. it's not that one is right and one is wrong. It's just that all projects are somewhere along that continuum. So yes. it's just a matter of figuring out where does Drupal lie and then what does that mean for us as a community? Yeah, I think that that's a really um, a really insightful point and that it is, it is a continuum and it's effectively an ecosystem. We also all rely on, um, you know, different pieces of the open source pie um, in different ways. And you look at, say, Linux, I think probably it would be safe to say that a majority a majority of us host our Drupal sites on, on, on the Linux operating system. Um, and that, that definitely ha- saw a shift from being um, completely uh, done by hobbyists um, in their free time as a great hacking kind of exercise and, and, and gradually became more and more... Um, uh, de- uh, developed by by um, software engineers who were paid by large organisations who had grown to depend on Linux. Um, you know, is it is it um, is it a something that's in flux? Like you know, there's a there's a life cycle. Uh, is other new innovative, you know, really cutting edge innovative ideas something that come out of people tinkering to solve a particular challenge that that they faced and then. You know that becomes useful. People begin begin to rely on it. Then want people to work on it full time. Um, lots of really interesting questions there. And the the um, I think the Heartbleed um, security incident uh, was it last year or was it this year? I can't even remember now. But that really highlighted how much we all relied on a very small on a piece of software that had become infrastructure, but was you know maintained by someone you know, in their spare time with very little resources. And that really highlighted how much we've grown to see this stuff as infrastructure. And yet no one was willing to take responsibility to make sure that that infrastructure was maintained. And, you know, that's how we end up with potholes in our real world and effectively potholes in our digital world. So, 
um, yeah, I've gone down the rabbit hole again, Mike, but um, it's, they're really good questions. And, I, I, you know, I feel a bit of a fraud being on the podcast today because I certainly don't have the answers. And well, but I, nobody I, has I, the answers. <laughs> nobody has the answers. But I, yeah. uh, but I also don't feel like I even have, you know, a consistent view. I, I think there's a lot of complexity here. And, you know, it's just really good to be talking about it, to be raising the questions, to be, you know, voicing our concerns, to be digging out that, you know, homework by the likes of um, Mako and, and, and Ash to, you know, to explore what it really means to fund free software. Yeah, so you mentioned Mako. So that is Ben, let me get his name right. Uh, Benjamin, Benjamin Mako Hill. Yes, thank you. Benjamin Mako Hill. He wrote a paper about this topic called Problems and Strategies in Financing Voluntary Free Software Projects. That's more homework for everybody. Uh, I pulled out a couple quotes from there that just really hit the nail on the head. And I, again, they're, they're things that I didn't think about until I read the paper. And then once I read the quotes, I'm like, oh, well, of course, that's absolutely correct. Um, first one is, it's easier for a, a successful volunteer free software project to get money than it is to decide how to spend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then secondly, um, which I think is... This second quote is really what made me kind of calm down about the DA Accelerate is that it's essential to carefully select the type of work that will be funded, end quote. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty much exactly what DA Accelerate did. It, it was very, very narrowly focused where that money could only be used to solve critical issues. Yes, and um, and very intentional. So the the core team, the core of the core team, were really um, involved in um, making some of those decisions about how the grant money would be funded. Some of it went um, to free to free up time of uh, the of core developers, such as um, Catch, actually. To, so that he could focus on, on the work involved in being the release maintainer. Um, but some of it went to um, travel funding to bring people together for sprints on critical issues because we've all seen the power of, of bringing people together face-to-face to really um, nut out a hard problem and, and crack it. So, um, you know, but, but the process, I think, showed great integrity in the way that they set it up. They, um, the Drupal Association learnt from the, the, the broader grant, um, and scholarship funding programs that they've been running for some time. Um, uh, they got people involved in thinking about how they were going to do it, what the criteria was, and it's all really transparent. You can also go and see, um, what grant requests were made, what was funded. It links back through to the issues. Um, so I think it very much fits in with, um, with, with you know, what um, Benjamin Mako Hill was saying there about being very careful about what you what you fund and how you fund it. Do you think it's a sign of maturity in, a, in an open source community that um, people who are who were volunteering their time are now, you know, finding ways to fund their time to work on the project? And I, I'm saying that because I know, and I, you know, I'm looking at Andrew because I know he's he's done some of this, where you start working for clients or you're working for your organization, and they have clients, and they have problems that need to be solved. And as a problem gets solved, I know when I'm working for my clients, I'm always looking at a way. If I'm writing custom module or something, I'm like, is there anything here that I can add to an existing contributor module and plow back into that and kind of get that work paid for by a client? Is that a sign of maturity? 
or is that just a sign of experience, which you know might be the same thing? I think it's a mix. You know, I think there are, there are elements of of both of those things. I think there's also an element of you know the maturity of the people involved. Um, you, you, you get more complex lives and 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 bigger, more grown up bills to pay as well. So, you know, that I think that's also an element here. There's a sort of a fiscal reality, a boring fiscal reality that you know you don't you know. You don't, you're not earning a crust and you're not paying your bills, so you don't have as much time to, to, to tinker. But the, the flip side is, um, I think we do have a problem, um, that we've got some people who contribute, who look to contribute in any way they can. If they're doing client work and like you say, you know, let's, let's kind of polish up this module which does most of it and contribute back as much as we can versus those who, who either, and there's two paths here, who just, um, just take stuff out of the community and never contribute anything back. And then there's those who, who do a lot of custom development that never sees the light of day that we don't get any benefit from. So there's custom dev going on for clients, which gets sucked into the sort of proprietary world um, of just client, um, you know, private client work and, and we don't contribute. I think both of those are, are, rea- are reality and, you know, um, elements of that whole tragedy of the commons um, challenge to to the nature of our, you know, software as a public good, which I think is an interesting concept. Right, exactly. This is definitely a uh, <laughs> just a, a deep topic. So I'm going to try and I'm going to try and pull us out here and, and and wrap up this topic. Um, I did for the heck of it this morning. I, I um, asked for questions on Twitter, and, and we had a few, and I saw that you were keeping an eye on it as well. So let me just ask. I think there's two I, I wanted to ask. Um, but the, actually, they're both kind of related, and it's something that wasn't even on my radar um, until I saw the tweet. Something about uh, Platform Coop. Platform Cooperative. Yes. Um, I, That's I think the hashtag. Fast- I'm sorry. Platform Coop is the hashtag. Yeah. Um, it's. Uh, I think this is fascinating and goes back to, you know, what I kind of opened with is the, the politics around um, – contribution and the politics of ownership of the platforms that we rely on. So I think Steve's um, question was, you know, what do I think of of having some kind of generic Drupal co-op of some kind? And look, I think it would be fantastic, like bottom line, and I think it's really interesting. But I think there's also um, lots of um, meaty questions to explore around co-op the nature of cooperatives themselves and the nature of, um, you know, ownership and uh, how we all, um, you know, how we all, what our, our own relationships to the platforms that we all rely on, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or, you know, or Google or, you know, or, or Amazon even, or, you know, the sort of platforms like eBay and Etsy and stuff, you know, we, we're building our lives and our businesses on these platforms and we have no ownership. We have no say. There is no democracy involved in that. We are, we are effectively citizens without representation in those worlds. And I think those kinds of questions are what kind of platform co-op raises in a really interesting way in how we might want to do things differently. I think one of the articles I was reading um, after Steve's question talked about, I can't remember her name, but she was involved in creating um, iStock Photo and has gone off and created a new um, photo sharing platform owned by photographers. So they're creating stock photography and it's owned by the photographers. And, you know, I, I just... Yeah, I don't have a good answer for you, Steve, on this one. It's one that I, I think is is still very 
um, you know, I'm still getting my head around it, but I think it's fascinating and definitely worth exploring. All right, very good. And there was um, one more, I think it was from uh, uh, Benjamin uh, Ben Melanson. Uh, how do we aggregate the needs of individuals, small nonprofits, small businesses to give equal footing with large organizations? And so we'll just sit back and you can answer that in the next three hours. <laughs> big question. <laughs> it is a big question. Um, I actually think that we, we all coexist together really well. Um, and I like to use a, a, an Australian, um, a bit of an Australian analogy here, and that is the Great Barrier Reef. You know, it's, it's this extraordinary ecosystem of diversity. There are super predators and there are tiny fish and there are anemones and, and corals, you know, and the whole thing works because of that diversity and because there are large and small, um, you know, organisms, some of which eat each other, but some of which actually have very, um, uh, you know, depend, symbiotic. Thank you. Symbiotic You're is welcome. the word. You know, they rely on each other to, to survive and they've evolved together. So, you know, I, I, I think that we, we have to keep an eye out that we don't get out of balance, you know? I mean, I think natural ecosystems are a really interesting way of, you know, of providing analogies for a lot of what we do. The other side is, you know, in the, in the natural world, when we lose a super predator, that has a huge impact. So, you know, don't, don't, um, don't diss the power of the really big organizations. They, 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 they have a place. Um, and similarly, we need to make sure that our freelancers have space and uh, a voice and, and we listen to their, to their needs because they bring agility and flexibility that, you know, large organizations just can't, you know, can't compete with. All right. Um, Andrew, Anna, I've, I've monopolized the conversation. I, as I, as I tend to do when I get excited about a topic. So sorry about that. You took all my questions. <laughs> oh, did I? I'm sorry. Well, good thing I got one in because you would have, t- you would have, you know, monopolized the conversation. So exactly. So. I'll get the next podcast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So before we wrap this topic up, did we cover it pretty well? Is there anything that we're, that we've missed? Oh, I'm going to take that as a no. Fantastic. All right, so uh, Donna, you're going to hang around for the rest of the podcast. So real quick, let me just mention that the next session of the 12-week Drupal Career Online program starts in early March 2016. You can go to drupaleasy.com slash DCO for more details. Uh, we were fortunate, fortunate enough, but we graduated a class of, uh, of students last Wednesday. So I th- think this was our seventh class that we graduated. Awesome. Uh, super- Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Super excited. Actually, one of them um, sent me a note today, and I posted on Twitter because it made me laugh out loud, and it said, with your class, Mike, you not only deliver the meat, you also deliver the condiments. <laughs> so I can't really say anything more. That's you know, <laughs> perhaps the greatest compliment I've ever gotten. <laughs> All right. I do also want to mention the Drupal Association is having a membership drive through the end of the year with the goal of uh, having 1,000 new members join the Drupal Association. And um, along with that, uh, a monetary goal of $100,000. Just to give you an idea of how big the new member goal is, uh, before the uh, campaign started, they were at about uh, 3,200 individuals and organizations. So we're looking to add a thousand new members to that. 
So if you're interested, by all means, go to assoc.drupal.org. And um, if you use Drupal, if you make money from Drupal in any way, shape, or form, you should really be a member. And if you're not a member, you should feel guilty about it. You should feel really, <laughs> really guilty. <laughs> Especially if you're going to use Drupal 8. Oh. Not allowed to use Drupal 8 until you become a member. Yes. <laughs> And if we find out that you're using Drupal 8 and you're not a member, you're going to have to deal with Anna. Just hey, whoa, out, whoa, whoa, know, whoa. Home addresses. <laughs> I was saying public shaming seems to work. Yeah, well, let's, yeah, let's start with public shaming. If that doesn't work, we'll, we'll go to the next level. Let's do that. <laughs> All right, three stories. Did anything happen last week, Mr. Riley? Uh, I'm trying to think. I I don't think anything actually happened on the 19th. I mean, it was garbage day for me. Uh, I took it out early. It was pretty good because they were there by like 7 a.m. Or uh, you take it out the night before. You just get up really early. I get up early because the the cats knock over the trash can and all. Yeah, see, I don't think it's cats. In my neighborhood, it's more raccoons than cats. Hmm. We have all kinds of crazy wildlife. I need to put up some web cameras. Or I mean, the other you know. We don't have any There raccoons. are no raccoons in Australia? Nope. We don't have okay. raccoons. Donna, first of all, you have nothing to say about, you know, weird <laughs> so, animals. Yeah, no, no, no weird animals in Australia. Nothing poisonous, nothing dangerous. <laughs> Definitely no flying spiders. No, I am no so flies. looking forward to spiders? the five questions with you, Donna, specifically for the exotic animal question. <laughs> I'm just saying. So if you don't have a good answer, just make, make one up. Just be, get ready to make, make up a good one. <laughs> Very good. But I think something pretty major did happen last week. I mean, we did, we've already mentioned it really. Drupal 8 has been released. I mean, come Woo-hoo! on, people. We need like party streamers and, and whistles and carrying on. And it was great. We had a good party actually in Melbourne. It was, uh, it was really nice. It was good it to was... see the community come together and we had some, you know, people beyond the usual suspects showed up to help us celebrate and it was really nice, really good. It felt, it feels like it's just, it's a, it just feels like relief. Like, Doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. And not yeah. that, you know, just in a way that we don't have to answer the question anymore. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> When's it coming out? It's out. End of story. That reminds me, I need to register when is Drupal 9 coming out.com. No, don't, don't, don't even talk <laughs> no, about it. 8.1. No. <laughs> That's right. The semantic versioning, I think, is going to be really interesting to see how that um, impacts um, our, our, our broader ecosystem. Like, if that really makes the difference that people are hoping it will make to see. Now, isn't this like what we had in the four days, though, with the versioning? Because we had, you know, the 4.6, 4.7, 4.8 that came yeah, out. That was like 10 years ago. We're, I, I think our tools are a lot more mature. The community is a lot more mature. I think, you know, Dries was talking in Barcelona about his desire to have the the master branch always be shippable. So mm-hmm. things don't get merged into master, you know, when they're half-baked, you know, so that at any time they can tag that master branch and have a shippable version of Drupal ready to be released. So to I think that's... Drupal itself continuous, like continuous delivery for Drupal itself. Right. The big, yeah. Hmm. But let's not talk about the future. We've been talking about the future for five years. Let's talk about the now. Yeah. Drupal 8. 
So um, I guess the big question is where is you know where where is the contributed space um, up to, and and are we ready, really ready to start building? You know, what are the big what are the big modules yeah. where we're going to be waiting for? I mean, I think it was quite interesting. I think An- Angie Webchick um, tweeted last week or so that there were already fifty seven thousand Drupal eight websites pinging back to Drupal.org and it took Drupal seven to six months to get to that point. And, and we were at that point before release day. So there are definitely already Drupal 8 sites out there in the wild. Drupal.com is one of them. Yeah, um, I think a big yeah. part of that is just the fact that to, in order to create, and let's not even say like a, a, a big complex site, but just a, your average Drupal site, you're going to need so few contributed modules. The mm. number of contributed modules that, that are going to be needed is, is going to drop dramatically, I think. Yes. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah, it, yes. it, it, it just it feels different. I mean, granted, you know, I think the big hole right now, if you can get past panels, you know, if you can deal with, you know, layout in Drupal 8 with, with Twig, it's, you know, very easy to imagine doing that. Um, but I, I think there's some holes with kind of the almost the business side of things, like search engine optimization with Drupal 8 sites. You know, granted, out of the box, Drupal 8 is better than Drupal 7, but there's not a whole lot of you know, SEO-ish modules out, which I know a lot of D7 sites had, you know, on average three, four, five different modules to help with that. Um, that being said, I think that a lot of organizations, you know, a lot of shops are probably already experimenting with Drupal 8 if not already working on client sites. And so let's just take a quick around the horn here. So Andrew at Red Hat, are you guys, what are you guys doing with Drupal 8? Are you in the evaluation phase or we're just starting the evaluation phase now that it's out. Uh, now we get to watch the contrib modules that are absolute must haves. Uh, so we can start planning that roadmap. But are there small like niche sub sites for red hat where this might be a good fit? There are, there's still a couple like key modules that we need. Uh, but one of the things that we're actually excited about is we don't have to stop and wait uh, start adopting Drupal 8. We might not release just yet, but because with things like Migrate and some of the other features that are part of Drupal 8, we can actually continue working on both the Drupal 7 and the Drupal 8 side side by side, and then when we're ready to flip the switch, we can. Right. And then, so, Anna, how about you? Um, and, and anything happening with Drupal 8 uh, on your end? Yeah, I've got two active D8 projects that I started back in beta 12. Oh, wow. Um, Outstanding. Actually was able to report a pretty gnarly bug to Pantheon um, for, for some JavaScript that wasn't showing up right. So uh, thanks to Greg Anderson and uh, Michelle Krejci for uh, helping to fix that up. Uh, um, so do, now were you looking for a project that would fit Drupal 8 or did a project it, kind, it, of, kind of landed in your lap and said, oh, this looks like – that's going to be a good good fit. Yeah, we were kind of planning on um, the you know the site was in Drupal six. It had a direct port to seven, starting to be time for a facelift and kind of a reorganization. So mm-hmm. we're we're starting from scratch with a lot of existing content, and uh, decided to jump in whole hog with Drupal eight. Um, the project has a timeline, so it's probably not need to be production ready until March. Um, 
but there's a lot of things to kind of play with and figure out and help porting modules uh, with an actual use case. Right. And then, you know, for us, I mean, I actually actively looked for some smaller local Drupal 6 based sites that I could potentially just take and go right to Drupal 8. Um, and one of them, I'm going to be able to do that. The other one, we're kind of in a holding pattern waiting on, on a couple of modules. In addition to DrupalEasy.com, which is, you know, horrifyingly still on Drupal 6, the interesting thing with DrupalEasy.com is uh, the D6 version of that, I think we have something like 45 contributor modules enabled. And in D8, as of right now on my little list, I think we need five. Wow, that's a big difference. Big difference, yeah. So, and how about Donna? How about you? Um, have I've you... Um, uh, had one of a, a client site that we've had for a very long time. Um, I thought would be a good um, a good candidate to try the migrate from Drupal six. So it's a, it's mm-hmm. a Drupal six site, um, and you know it, it's really tiny. So you know if it all failed, I could probably do some you know. Copy and paste, <laughs> sure, but sure. you know to go through the motions and to see how it works. So you know I sort of got that along the way. I, I encountered a few glitches, and but um, you know with a little bit of help from 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 Pete, we sort of we sort of got it across the line. Um, it's not it's not quite ready. I haven't actually shared it with the client yet, but you know I'm definitely playing. And I've been um, I've been doing a lot of um, sort of QA type testing of of Drupal eight issues and stuff along along the journey so i'm actually really excited to get into it i think yeah with views and um WYSIWYG in core it's just fundamentally different experience to to set up a site um i'm i'm really looking forward to it but i haven't really done it in anger yet <laughs> have any of you run across <laughs> the drupal e and i'm calling it the marketing site but is that drupal.org slash eight the, the yeah. number, numeric eight I, I i ran across it today for the first time um, I, lo- I I love the um, you know, if you scroll right to the bottom of that Drupal dot org slash eight, um, there's tran- there's translation section and there's just mm-hmm. links to that page in lots of different languages. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's kind of it's kind of gorgeous. I don't. The site is not actually in Drupal eight though, which I was a little bit disappointed about. <laughs> not yet. Not <laughs> yet. Yeah, actually, speaking of the different languages, what is eight in Dutch? Acht. Acht. It's my my kid's favorite Dutch word right there. They can say it angry and they can say it nice and it sounds exactly the same way. (laughs) So anyway, if you have a client or potential client that's curious about eight and you want to send them some information, this Drupal.org slash eight page is is, is really kind of slick. So definitely check that out. Um, a couple of, of other notes about Drupal 8. We'll have links for the actual um, news item that was posted on Drupal.org. As well as um, the other kind of big news is that OS Training is launching, or did launch, I should say, a free video series. I believe it is 60 videos. Do I have that number? Yeah, it's it's not small. I was, you know, like, oh, free videos will be a couple. No, it, it's quite a few. And it's just, it's the tip of the iceberg as well. <laughs> They've got 100, oh, 62 videos in the beginner class. So the beginner class is out. So 60, oh, the first 200 they're going to release. 
Yes. And it's fantastic. Like, I just watched one. There was a, a tweet. So I just sort of, you know, watched it. It was nice and short and bite-sized. And yep. it showed the uh, the inline editing. And it kind of showed some gotchas. Like, you know, yes, here's the inline editor. But be careful because you can turn off your title block, which you probably don't want to do. So it was, yeah, it was really <laughs> nice. Good good, good job, guys. Good job. Yeah. Steve Burge and Rod. And I forgot Rod's last name. I'm sorry, Rod. But they did an outstanding job. I'm not sure if anyone else was involved. Um, but definitely check those out. Uh, the link will be in the show notes as well. And along with a new major version of Drupal, what does that mean, Anna? Uh, Drupal 6 goes bye-bye. Oh, um, that's so <laughs> well, okay, so, so it doesn't go away. If you have a Drupal 6 site, it will continue to work. What it does mean is that community support as far as fixing bugs, solving security issues, that's what's going away. So the clock is ticking. Although yep. there have been, and I've heard rumblings, I haven't seen anything official yet, but I have heard rumblings that there will be organizations, possibly for-profit organizations, stepping in to kind of fill the gap. Um, hmm. I've seen I've seen some people that they're going to start they're going to offer you know an extra year of Drupal six support, but I don't know whether part of that plan is to contribute fixes back to the community. Yeah, exactly. Donna, you were going to say something. Yeah, it's it's an interesting space because Drupal six in many ways was the breakthrough version for Drupal. And there are still a lot of Drupal 6 sites out there. And, you know, we were talking earlier about our ecosystem. A lot of the non-profits who kind of got on the Drupal 6 bandwagon may not have the resources to do a big, um, you know, redevelopment. So there's a, there's, there's a sort of, you know, a market, I guess, for, mm-hmm. for a longer term Drupal 6 support, but also, the flip side is that a lot of people are tired and, and, and done and the Drupal 6 testing environment isn't robust. So it, I think it's a really interesting question. So I'll, I'll be keen to, to keep an eye on, on, on with, if that happens or not. Cause I think, I think there's definitely a need for it. Yeah. I'll be interested to see, you know, you know, companies that step up to provide that. And I think what, what Anna said is, are they going to, develop or, or you know develop the security patches and then contribute them back or are they going to be you know if you want the security patches subscribe to our service i think that's going to be kind of interesting as well mm. so all right donna um you need to get going pretty soon did, did I... I do unfortunately okay. i do need to start heading off um okay well awesome. it's morning it's, it's time to get to work for you isn't it it is it is and i've got okay. i've got emails jumping up and down saying where are you okay. what's going on so you guys you don't you don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Australia, I suppose. No, no, we no. don't do Thanksgiving. Hmm. Okay, well, happy Thanksgiving then from the Americans. <laughs> Why? Thank you very much. <laughs> Maybe have a turkey sandwich on Thursday, and you can. Yeah, I'll, I'll raise a toast to my American friends and um, yes. enjoy your yes. Thanksgiving holiday. We were mentioning. Does she have time to stick to the five questions, oh. or you had to duck out? Oh, Anna, oh, I thank can probably, you. I can probably do that. Yes, Anna, thank you very much because I would have completely forgotten about that. So, all right, here we go. Real quick, um, name something interesting you do outside of Drupal. Me first? Oh, okay. no, it's just oh, you. It's You're all the you. Only yeah. one. It's all me. Oh, it's all me. Okay. Yes. So, something interesting I do outside of Drupal. Well, I don't know if it really counts as interesting, but I think it's interesting. And that is, I like to go for drives through the Victorian countryside. Victoria is my home state, and I like looking at rocks. 
I'm just going to put look at rocks. Yeah, I like any types rocks. of rocks in particular. <laughs> all rocks, rocks of all sorts, whether they're they're vigneous or or sandstone or bluestone or volcanic or you know you name it. I, I so like were you a geologist in a past life? I think yes. I think I was yes. a ge- geologist in a past life. Yep. Have you been? I, um, you... I went for a drive through um, Sedona, and mm-hmm. um, I stayed with Megan Sanicky, You know, from the Drupal Association. Oh, okay. She had this awesome book, which had, um, <laughs> which had a drive in the back of it, which I suggested drive, and it took you through different cuttings, and it described the kind of geology, and I was just like, oh, I love this. This is amazing. So yeah, I like <laughs> looking at rocks. And some of you might know um, Bejeebus, Justin Randall. He mocks mm-hmm. me mercilessly for looking at rocks. He goes, so, Donna, have you seen any nice rocks lately? <laughs> <laughs> have you been to the Grand Canyon here in Yes. America? So did, yes. You, did you walk it, a, or hike down? No, we, or? We, didn't, we didn't hike down. Um, I really – I would have liked to do that actually. But um, it's overwhelming, the Grand yeah. Canyon. It's a really See, big hole. It's a really uh, big hole. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like a rock person. I don't – I mean – Sure, they're interesting, and you know, if I had to, I I could probably find something that really kind of wowed me about rocks. Um, <laughs> but doing that hike down <laughs> to the Grand Canyon, uh, it, you know, down to the river, I was floored by all the different layers and how they they would change abruptly, and there would be like this soft, like dry, crumbly rock, and then within five inches, you go five inches down or five inches up, suddenly it was like this black, dark. You know, impenetrable, impenetrable layer. And exactly. Another, it was crazy interesting. Exactly. To me. Exactly. And I knew nothing about it. It was exactly. me and my that's dopey it. friend. That's 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 stratification, and it's the history of the world, and I think it's fascinating. Yes. Okay. So these yeah. are supposed to be quick questions. So we failed on question one so far. <laughs> Sorry. The last. No. No. Fine. The last piece of software that you installed could be on your um, phone, could be on your computer, could be on your TV, could be anywhere. Um. Uh, I don't even know. Um, I think it might have been. I think it might have been um, Toggle, which is really boring. <laughs> the time tracking app. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good enough. Uh, what is a goal that you have not accomplished yet that is terrifying to you? So a goal uh, that you kind of set out for yourself. A goal that I have not yet accomplished. So I was having a little chat with myself the other day about goals in general Mm -hmm. and how they don't really work for me. And I found an article that kind of – that that made me feel better about not really being very good at goals and and setting them and and stuff. So I I just have to fail. I I sense a meta answer coming on. Yeah, no, (laughs) I I don't – yeah, I I haven't – well, one that I haven't accomplished yet is to go to India – it's not terrifying though, and I'm going to hopefully do it in in February and go to Drupalcon Mumbai. I really want to go to India. Some people say it's terrifying and it changes your life, but it sounds uh, to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this question for you. I think. Okay. It's, go. It sounds to me that a goal that you have not accomplished yet that is terrifying is setting a goal. Yes. There you go. Bye bye. <laughs> Excellent. You win. Okay. Yes. Fantastic. Let's do that. Mike with the self-fulfilling prophecy of predicting the meta answer, then giving the meta answer. <laughs> well, I tried to walk Donna right to the answer, and she didn't take the beat, so I had to step in. Yep. All right, Donna. 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 <laughs> I'm talking too fast. Do not disappoint on this question. This is the most important question, considering you're from Australia. 
<laughs> what is the last exotic animal that you have hand fed? Uh, I'm trying to remember if it would have been a wallaby <gasps> or a cockatoo. That's I can't remember wallaby. which one would have been the last one, but you know, yeah. I'm going to say wallaby. Okay, go wallaby. Go wallaby. <laughs> it's a fun word. It is a great <laughs> word, isn't it? Yeah. It is Wallabies are lovely word. little creatures. Are those uh, like the little kangaroos? Yep, that's right. Okay, there you go. And um, this is, we always get fun answers for this one. What was your tipping point Drupal moment? So in other words, you were getting to know Drupal, you were experimenting with Drupal, but then something happened where you said, wow, Drupal is the CMS for me. Um, it was a long time ago, actually. And it was, I think, um, a story which is really common in our community that lots of small web organizations had developed an in-house content management system of one kind or another. And we got to a point where I think we actually had a security um, problem that was beyond our ability to solve, right? And so we said, look, we, we, we can't continue to maintain this custom code base. We've got to pick one of these open source um, content management systems. We were already in PHP land, so we, you know, narrowed our, our search and we looked at, you know, we looked at, at Drupal and, and WordPress and Joomla and we had inherited a, uh, we'd had inherited a, an easy publish site. So we looked at a bunch of them and, um, and from the, the developer perspective, it was Pete who went, yep, Drupal's the one. And, and I actually, really loved getting in and just building stuff with Drupal as a, as a, from the site builder side. And, um, that was, you know, that was kind of step one. Step two was actually, I've got to hand it to Simon Hobbs who introduced me to the community. Um, and the rest, as they say, is history. So would you say that you, you realized that Drupal was the one you wanted to use while you were evaluating Drupal? Yeah, so we, you know, we we basically had a poke around a bunch of different sites. We 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 had been managing, I think, our Joomla site, an, an easy publish site, and um, and had been doing some work on someone else's Drupal site. Um, you know, some community groups that we were working with, and and Drupal just kind of rose to the top like the cream it is. But um, it was meeting the community and then having this extraordinary moment of work, walking into DrupalCon San Francisco um, as my first major international Drupal event and feeling like I'd come home. See, that, was, there it is. That's the tipping moment right there. Yeah, it was It yeah. was like, wow, these are my people. This is, <laughs> this is home. Fantastic. All right, that's very nice. All right, well, we know you have to go and you've got a full work day ahead of you. So thank you very much, Donna. Uh, for joining us today and your you insight. You are very welcome. It's an absolute pleasure and um, enjoy the rest of your, your chat together, yes. um, Anna and, and Andrew and, and Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, and thanks for uh, everything you do for the community. And it's, it's a lot because I think we spent yep. the first 20 minutes of the podcast just talking about it. So You're welcome. Keep... I hope we didn't bore people too much. Well, we'll find out. I'll they can fast forward. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. true. They can fast forward. Fast forward, people. <laughs> <laughs> thanks all. All right. Thanks, Donna. Bye. All right, so real quick, let me mention webenabled.com and devpanel.com. 
If you are looking for a development environment with team support and Git repositories and the ability to quickly spin up sites, uh, by all means, check out webenabled.com. All right, picks of the week. Uh, Andrew, you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first, although I've got kind of a boring one. Uh, So I think I've even chose this one before, but I've got a new spin for it. (laughs) It's the services module. Now, you might have heard of it. You might not have heard of it. it allow, it's an API module that, with some help of friends, can allow you to expose services so other programs or websites can either get information or send information to your site. might be over REST, SOAP, uh, a whole bunch of different uh, extra modules exist out there for you. Now, I was surprised because I thought it was going to dr- die off in Drupal 8 since there's a lot of service-like functionality in Drupal 8 uh, already that's kind of exposed uh, for a bunch of different reasons. But it turns out the services module is going to have a 4X branch that lives out there in Drupal 8 to kind of help uh, extend the core functionality and make it easier to use. And, well, as to put it uh, how they put it, provide abstraction from some some of core's annoyances. Uh, so I'm, I'm surprised to see an old friend living on. I'm happy. It's a good thing for the services module. So it, it sounds like that the 8.x version of the services module is going to s- simplify what um, Symfony provides. Because isn't the vast majority of what D8 services provides, isn't that coming directly from Symfony? I believe so. I haven't dove okay. too much into it, but uh, it seems to be tied around the nodes. And it, from what I saw, well, this is about a year back, mm-hmm. it seemed mostly directly from the service or the uh, service providers in Symphony. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And Anna, your pick of the week. Uh, my pick of the week is a blog post from last week uh, by Fabian Franz, also known as Fabian X. Um, The long title is Why Drupal 8 is Defaulting Its Testing to PHP 7 and Why You Should Too. Um, I really enjoy the article for kind of the backstory it provides on why it is Drupal 8's fault that the PHP 7 release got pushed back. (laughs) I did not know that. Um, So PHP 7 was originally supposed to release uh, a week before Drupal 8, so on November 12th, Um, but... And, and I, w- I would say between that date and what changed, um, I, I can't say that that specifically was related to Drupal 8, but there were definitely some interesting bugs that Drupal 8 found um, as we were testing things, getting our version of Drupal 8 ready to go, trying it out on Drupal 7, um, finding edge cases and weird bugs, and you know, working with the PHP team to fix those. So I think that that's a really great insight on, hey, here's what actually kind of happened and how we work together to make everything better. So what do you, I know that in the past that Drupal um, hosting has, and, and even like even local hosting as well, has always lagged behind like the latest version of PHP. Um, is that a function of, uh, well, I guess, what's that a function of? Why, and, and is that something that's possibly changing moving forward because i've noticed especially this calendar year there's been a lot more talk about pushing the the minimum version for php out um for for drupal core and now we're talking about php 7 i mean are are, are we kind of getting in the mindset and is it just drupal or is it other communities 
where we kind of want to get in sync with where PHP is a little bit faster? I think so. I can't really speak to other communities, but just looking at how long you know the Drupal 6 lifecycle was and how long the Drupal 7 lifecycle is, kind of how long we can expect it to be. Um, when I started on Drupal 6, we were using uh, PHP 5.2. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think the, the, uh, the latest LTS version that's still supported is 5.5. Yep, um, it has seven months uh, remaining for security support. Right. So, but I know upgrading, like, for people writing, who, who originally wrote Drupal 6, being, oh, hey, this is cool, let's use this five point, this version 5 stuff, and only looking as far as 5.2, that caused a lot of a headache. Um, even while they were still trying to push updates and trying to support sites, and then mm-hmm. hosting providers are trying to update because early versions of PHP aren't supported for security anymore, and... You just have a recipe for disaster, I think. Um, so I think if we could front load some of those requirements and say, okay, PHP 7, we're hoping will be around for the entire Drupal 8 lifecycle, um, I, I think we'll see a benefit overall. And, and for anyone who's confused, there was no PHP 6 that got skipped. So <laughs> it's going from 5.6 to 7. So just want to make that clear. <laughs> it, it could possibly also be a function of just te- the technology maturing around hosting. Um, you know, a lot more hosting is, is virtual hosting. Um, easier to update. Uh, easier to, like, relaunch your site in a new instance that has an updated version of PHP. And even, like, our local tools. Yeah, a lot of people run virtual machines, yeah. even if they're not, you know, doing crazy Docker stuff. Yeah, because lately I've been looking. I mean, I, I'm I've used MAMP as long as I can remember. And I'm starting to look at MAMP, at, you know, on my own machine. Going, this feels like really old fashioned at this point. So, I don't know. I still go bare metal, straight on my local. No, see, I'm, I'm afraid of that. You are much more brave than I am, <laughs> Andrew. And Andrew, are you all Linux these days? I think you are, right? I am. Well, I, right now I'm on my Mac because all my uh, recording right. software is on there. But yeah, as far as workstation goes, I'm all Linux. Man, maybe I am old-fashioned. Hmm. I am old-fashioned when it comes to my pick of the week, especially. Um, I can't believe this exists, and I was so happy to find it. It is Bob Ross Lorem Ipsum Text Generator. If you remember Bob Ross, he's the guy who painted little happy trees. Now when you're developing your demo sites, you can fill your demo sites with content all about little happy trees. Just go to bobrosslipsum.com. And that is my super short, super simple pick of the week. Happy clouds. Happy clouds. I love Bob Ross. Yes. <laughs> He's had a bit of a resurgence in the past few weeks, right? He, there, a bunch of his stuff is online, and I've heard his name in, you know, in the nerd news uh, more than a few times recently. Hmm. Yeah, I think there were some good Halloween costumes that made the rounds. Yeah. Um, upcoming events, I have nothing, you know, for this calendar year that um, is is really on my radar. Do either of you? No. The next thing I'm looking at is uh, the New Jersey camp, but that's at the end of January. Yeah, I will. I will be there. I was actually. I don't know if you know this. I was actually announced uh, a week or two ago. I'm going to be delivering the keynote at. Drupal Camp, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yes, Ooh, nice. At the end of January, so I have to uh, I have to put my nice shoes on, apparently, or something. 
You can say hi to King Ted over there in New Jersey. I am. I think King Ted and I are going to uh, actually no. Let's not call him King Ted. That's that's a rest- the king in New Jersey. Oh, that's right. He was the king of New Jersey at one point, wasn't he? Yep. Yep. You've got a your mind is like a steel trap. That is so impressive. <laughs> wow. No, I actually think t- I don't understand. This is from a podcast like years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, a couple years ago. <laughs> That's crazy. No, Ted and I, we are Airbnb buddies. So whenever we go to DrupalCon or something, we always, because we both like to like, you know, have it very quiet when we sleep and not, you know, there's no partying involved. So <laughs> Ted and I are, are pals. And so I think actually in New Jersey, we're, we're going we're gonna to bunk together. Well, not bunk together. I shouldn't say bunk together because both of our wives would probably be really angry about that. Um, anyway, how do I get off this topic? Some uh, Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie is lovely this time of year. A little bit chilly. Yep. <laughs> All right. So that's the next, um, that's the next event that's on our radar. Um, it's the holidays. So really you should be staying home, spending time with your family. Let's not, you know, mince words here. Don't, don't be driving around doing Drupal events, uh, multi-day events at least until after the, after the holidays. Stay home and work on Contrib. Yes, absolutely. That's what hangouts are for. Yes. All right. So, Anna, where can people find you on Twitter? Or I am else? A Colada on Twitter, Jubilee.org, pretty much all the good things. A K A L A T A. Very good. And Andrew? I'm at Andrew M. Riley, all one word. All right. And as always, you can follow Drupal Easy at Drupal Easy. I am Ultimike pretty much everywhere. Liberator, Tedbo, and, well, Liberator and Tedbo are uh, not here today. Um, you can follow them on Twitter as well. And our guest, of course, is Catacrab, at Catacrab. Um, so let's, oh, well, we've already done five questions. So let's wrap things up. As always, you can listen to the Drupal Easy podcast on iTunes, Miro, or any other of the popular pod catchers. Also on DrupalEasy.com slash podcast. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can do that by calling uh, in the U.S., so plus one, three, two, one, three, nine, six, two, three, four, zero. If you want to take a look at what we are tagging uh, for the next uh, upcoming podcast, you can follow delicious.com and the Drupal Easy podcast tag. Our next podcast is Mike Bell, who we had to reschedule from a few weeks ago. He was one of the community keynote speakers in Barcelona talking about open source source and mental health. Really looking forward to that. Um, and I think that's about it. So, Andrew, great to hear your voice again. Great to get you back on the podcast. Mm, brains. <laughs> and Anna, uh, welcome officially. Thank you. Hopefully I'll get uh, more of a chance to talk next time. Yes, I'll, well, that will enable, you know, somehow putting tape over my mouth, I suspect, but I will, I will do my best. <laughs> <laughs> and until the next podcast, uh, this is Mike Anello, and we'll see you next time. See ya!